afternoon, congregation, we deal with Lord's Day 42 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 42, page 552 in the Book of Praise. And there the church confesses the word of God as follows. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. So far, Lord's Day 42. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, and that includes uh, boys and girls, you belong to the Lord. We read uh, part of John 3 about how God's Son came into this world as the light, but men loved the darkness more than the light because their deeds were evil, it says. And then John adds in John 3.20, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil for Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Telling words, congregation, we've been made children of light through Jesus Christ to use an expression of the Apostle Paul, children of light through Christ. And therefore, we're called to walk in the light. In other words, walk in uprightness according to God's goodwill. By nature, we want to live in the dark. The whole world without Christ lives in darkness, and that is the darkness of sin after the fall. But as people redeemed by Christ, who is the light, we, we don't want to live in the dark. We want to walk in the light. Well, that walking in light and remaining in darkness also involves the eighth commandment of God's law. Christ has brought us into his light. So he also wants us to walk in the light in regards to this commandment. You shall not steal. Stealing greed and extravagance, as the Lord's Day 42 mentions. That's walking in the dark. But walking in the light is to give. To work faithfully so that I may also help those in need. And we see that 
we see that conflict and contrast between light and darkness with respect to the Eighth Commandment very clearly in that passage we read about the anointing of Jesus' feet in John 12, just before he was crucified. And I proclaim to you then the Eighth Commandment in the light of that passage with this theme, live in the light of the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. And we'll look at loving the light in the first place and then hating the darkness in regards to this commandment. First of all, then love the light. In John 12, congregation, a special meal had been organized for the Lord Jesus by a number of his close friends there in Bethany. It was given in Jesus' honor, obviously to honor him for raising Lazarus from the dead. Martha served. It says, Lazarus reclined at table near Jesus as living proof of his power and glory. Here it was Lazarus. He had died. The Lord had raised him. Here he sat eating at table near the Lord as proof of his power. The whole scene and the prominence of Lazarus gives the impression that Jesus' friends with good intentions were actually honoring him more for his power in raising Lazarus again to this life than for who he was in himself, namely the Savior to life everlasting. And that could explain uh, Mary, what Mary did too, her actions. It could very well be that Mary had bought that expensive oil of spikenard worth 300 denarii, about a year's pay, let's say $40,000, $50,000 in our terms, that she had bought that for Lazarus's burial. Because they didn't all use it right away when they were buried, but sometimes later too. But applied that to the body. But now that Lazarus had been brought back to life by Jesus, she still had this in the house. And awed at Jesus' divine power and in deep gratitude for, to him for bringing her brother back to life, Mary used that oil to honor Jesus as much as she could. She opened that bottle of oil of spikenard and poured the whole thing on Jesus' feet. And the house was completely filled with the strong fragrance of that perfumed oil which came from the far east, from the Himalayan mountains, the foothills of those mountains. Congregation, this whole event was most likely based on a bit of confusion of what Jesus was really about. You see that the next day, too, when Jesus entered Jerusalem to the shouts of the people, blessed be the king of Israel, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So many looked for earthly might and glory and power with Jesus, and they, they didn't always understand that Jesus was going to bring salvation by humbling himself and giving himself over to death on a cross. Lazarus and Mary and Martha and the others understood later. They understood that perfectly later after Jesus' resurrection. 
But at that time, they most likely didn't fully understand what was all going to happen there. In spite of the possible misunderstanding, God still used Mary's actions to bring the true glory of his son to light. The spikenard she poured on Jesus' feet to honor him after Lazarus had been brought back to life becomes a preparation for his burial. As Jesus says in verse 7 of John 12. A preparation for burial. The thing is, though, Mary's action of pouring that whole bottle on fragrant oil worth a year's wages on Jesus' feet is an action, and, and apart from the motivations, this, the, the main thing was that it was an action of love and devotion toward the Lord, for the Lord Jesus. That, that remains, even if she didn't understand everything rightly, there was amazing love and devotion for the Lord there. She loved her Lord so intensely. She was willing to give much for him. She uprightly sought the light here, we could say. In spite of some misunderstandings, the light of God shone through Mary's deed. She wanted to give her Lord everything. Her gratitude. And that gives us something to think about in connection with the Eighth Commandment, which we confess in Lord's Day 42. Because as Lord's Day 42 shows, the Eighth Commandment isn't only negatively about theft and fraud and greed and so on, it's also positive. What does the Lord command here? And as it says, answer 111, promoting our neighbor's good, helping those in need. In other words, the Eighth Commandment is not only negative, you shall not steal. Positively, it means you shall give. You shall share. You see, two total opposites. Stealing, taking away from the neighbor, that's walking in the dark. Giving, enriching the neighbor, helping the neighbor, walking in the light, the light of Jesus Christ. But when we think of giving, we often run into a lot of questions, right? To whom do we give? How much should we give? All kinds of causes in church and world which clamor for our attention. Some, are, some of those charitable causes are pretty, pretty aggressive, really. You know, you give once, and then they keep asking for more. You, you get a folder in the mail almost every month, and it seems as if they're pretty demanding after a while. They never forget your address once you've given once. And just throwing money at the, the needy isn't really always the answer either. You, you can make them dependent on you. So it's, it's not easy to give. And sometimes we wonder if we've really given for a good cause or really helped those we intended to help. And, and the, the work of the deacons isn't easy in this either. Who? Who do we, who do we support? On the other hand, think about, think about Mary in John 12. Whatever Mary was thinking, one thing was for sure. She wanted to honor the Lord Jesus. She wanted to glorify him, and that's why she, she did what she did. 
took that whole pint of oil of spikenard worth $50,000, let's say in today's terms, poured the whole thing over Jesus' feet. Might have taken a minute. And she's moved by love for her Lord to give him, to do for him what others think is too much, too extravagant. We could say that she came to the light so that it can be clearly seen that what she did was done in God. This was real, true love for the Lord that moved her. Love for the Lord worked by the Spirit in her heart. See, brothers and sisters, I think most of us were raised with the idea of being good stewards. We have to be good stewards of what God gives us to manage. And, and it's so true. We need to be responsible managers of what God gives us. That's his, his command to us. But you could have one-sided emphasis on good stewardship, which could result in a kind of a bookkeeping mentality. And then you count every nickel to make sure, it used to be pennies, now it's nickel. Nickel, every nickel to make sure it's not wasted and make sure that we keep enough for ourselves. There's a whole, there's a whole other side to dealing with what you receive from God too. And we see that in this passage that we read here from John 12 this afternoon. In her intense love for the Lord, Mary gave an extremely precious thing which she had without considering the cost. And we can learn from that. We can learn a lot from that. Because, yes, you know, rationally speaking, Mary did a very irresponsible thing here. That whole bottle of oil of spikenard on Jesus' feet, just gone, just like that. House smells good, Jesus' feet smell good, her hair smells good. What she, what she did was not good bookkeeping at all. Judas thought that too. He brought it to the fore, John 12. He said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And congregation, Judas was so right. He was right on, worth a year's wages. So many poor people could have been helped with that money. If Mary wanted to honor Jesus, she could have done that with a few drops and then resealed the bottle and sold it for maybe a, a little bit less, but it, it was still a fine sum. A lot of poor people could have found relief with that money. Maybe a life or two could have been saved. Judas was correct. If you only think about the stewardship aspect of it, the bookkeeping. But Jesus did not praise Judas for, for his argument. That totally makes sense his sensible argument, not at all. Jesus rebukes Judas and the others who think like them, and he says in verse seven, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. And Jesus was pointing then to his death on the cross. 
which would take place in a couple of days from then. Later on, after he was crucified and buried and after his resurrection from the dead, they would understand his real glory as Savior. But at this point, even if Mary didn't fully understand, she just understood about her Savior after he had raised Lazarus, that was, that was okay if she didn't understand everything. God was working in this, preparing the Lord Jesus for his death through what she did. And then Jesus adds in verse 8, for the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Interesting that the Lord Jesus brings that up here. The poor you will have with you always. Me, not always. Jesus isn't saying here with a kind of resignation, well, yes, the poor, unfortunately, they're always going to be with you. Those poor people. No, what, what Jesus means to say is that we need to have the same attitude to the poor as Mary had to him when she poured that expensive spikenard on his feet. She could do that to him personally out of love for him while he was still there. She could show her love for him while he was there. But the poor you will always have with you. And that means that now, after he is not here anymore, we can, we can and we ought to show love to him by helping, by giving for the poor, the needy. Like Jesus said elsewhere, whatever you did to one of the least of these, you did it for me. Do you understand, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, Mary loved the Lord intensely and gave to him without figuring everything out. Her love for her Savior made her blissfully irrational. She gave what she could there, pouring that whole thousands of dollars worth of nard on Jesus' feet, wiping it with her hair, she clearly showed herself to be a child of light. Judas criticized her. Jesus praises her. And now Jesus is no longer physically here on earth. He ascended into heaven. But if you love him now, after his death, resurrection, and ascension, of everything you know, if you love him now with that same overflowing love that Mary had for him without knowing about his death and resurrection and so on, but if you have that same overflowing love that Mary had for Jesus, you'll want to do something like she did too. How could you not? You do that then by helping and giving to the needy here and elsewhere. The Lord isn't with us physically today, but he is with us in our needy brothers and sisters and in the needy around us in our community. We don't have him here to show love to him by giving him personally. We do have the poor. We love him by giving to the poor. We can love him abundantly by giving 
abundantly and freely to those in need. I'm afraid that's not always how we think of giving for the needy, is it? I'm, a thing, I'm afraid we sometimes think we're, uh, th that we focus on the people we're giving for or the cause. We focus on those things and then we, we, then we can question if it's any use, right? If our gifts do what they should. But the Lord shows in John 12 again that when we give for the needy, then it's actually we're giving to him. We need to focus on him. We're giving to him. For instance, when the collection bag goes around, you're not really actually giving to needy people. You're giving to the Lord. You're not giving for that person who doesn't manage his or her money well or that person who can't stay on the job and is perennially out of work. No, you have to look higher than that. We're giving to our Savior who gave himself for us. He's the one holding out the collection bag. And we can show the depth of our love for him by giving. Maybe even sometimes irrationally, like Mary did. And it's the same in reverse if somebody is in need. If the deacons come to give assistance, then it's not help that comes from the deacons or from the members of the church or so. The help you receive then is from the Lord. From the Lord. It's the Lord the needy approach for help and it's the Lord they receive help from. See, we have to look higher than the individual people here. We need to see our Savior in all these things. And if our love for Him is there and, and growing and He is abundantly worthy of our love, then we want to give. And then, therefore, love the light. Walk in the light. We come to our second point, the other side of loving the light, and that is hate the darkness. Congregation in Judas, we see somebody who loves the darkness more than the light. Somebody who does evil even wants to destroy the light. Judas is a petty thief. And the longer he's with the Lord, the more he's disappointed in the Lord's message, and the more he despises him and wants to get rid of him. He had hoped to become important and rich with the Lord. He was disappointed. And in the end, Judas's heart is so far from the Lord and so in the grip of sin, sin, also sin against the Eighth Commandment then, that he betrays the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver, which was about 100 denarii, a third of a year's wages. Sin against the Eighth Commandment had obviously taken root in Judas's heart, and there was a huge shadow there that was growing the more he heard the word that Jesus brought, that word of mercy, 
The more Jesus said he, that he had to who die for the sins of people, the more that darkness took over in Judas's heart. The word brought that darkness out. That's how it always goes, unless the Spirit prevents it. It's so easily then, too, goes from dark to darker to complete darkness as it became with Judas. And that's something we have to pay attention to, congregation. Watch our hearts. For if there's any sin that's lodged deeply in our hearts also, then it has to be this sin against the Eighth Commandment. And that, that includes greed. How do you define greed? Who is greedy? Who is not? It's a hard, hard thing to judge. And this is the commandment of rationalizations and excuses then from justifying not giving while there actually might be greed in our hearts. Like Judas's argument against what Mary did, totally rational, totally wrong. And we're all so good at convincing ourselves that we really need this and really need that. We need nicer clothes to be admired, newer car to impress, bigger house to keep up with the Joneses, and the advertising world will play on it, plays on that. They're experts in helping us make wants into needs. And if the money isn't there, no problem. Credit is easy. I'm not saying it always goes like that, but the inclination can be there. We always have to fight that inclination to rationalize for ourselves when it comes to our money. Greed, I mentioned it's so hard to define. It's not wrong to be wealthy. Some of the greatest saints were wealthy. Lazarus, Mary, Martha, they were, they were rich. It's hard to define. And that's, greed is hard to define, and that's why we're so sensitive when it comes to the money, too, when we're questioned about what we do with it. None of anybody else's business, we might say. Maybe that's even not my business, but it is the Lord's business what you do with your money. We all have to answer to him who is the light of the world. What did you do with what I gave you? He gave himself completely for us. And now he comes to us in the needy. And not, not only in the big things, also in the small things. That's where darkness can creep in so quietly and conspicuously. In the small things, we rationalize as we rationalize our wants into needs, and then we, we need more all the time. And those, those needs, which become wants, become central to our hearts more and more, and they push aside the love and gratitude towards Christ in our hearts, and then a shadow falls here in our hearts, which wants to drive out the light. And your needs become so great, you might even want to supplement by stealing, as Judas did. Because that's how it went with Judas. And it started out with a few coins out of the disciples' common money bag. 
And even though Judas was a disciple who had walked right beside the Lord of life for three years, saw all that he did, the miracles, the wonders, heard his preaching, even preached himself and did miracles in his name himself, his heart still ended up being closed to it all. It got darker and darker in here till he realized he wasn't going to get ahead with Jesus. And he betrayed his master for a few silver coins. And that way he was going to get something out of Jesus yet for being with him those three years. Congregation, we, we have to pray constantly. You realize that we have to pray constantly to keep that darkness out of our hearts. Keep that darkness out of our hearts. It's, it's not the things we covet with our eyes or the amounts we pilfer that are the thing. It's the heart. It all comes down to what's in here. That's the thing. Why, why are we not honest? Why do we crave and steal? It's because the darkness lives in here then. And how often doesn't that darkness block our relationship with Christ, stop our love for Christ, also in our giving for the needy? Because then we want to hang on to what is ours or even take what is not ours. And those are works of darkness that kill the love for the light in our hearts, the love for the Lord and for our neighbor. Well, that darkness has to be pushed back by the light. We need to seek the forgiving and renewing grace of God in Christ constantly, constantly, congregation. Here again, the gospel of our Savior's love for us. Be there when it's proclaimed. We need to see again how small-minded our selfishness is over against our Lord's generosity and giving up His glory with His Father and giving himself over to an accursed death for us. And we need to see again how he loved us with everything he had to the very end so that there is forgiveness for us, abundant forgiveness for our egotism, for our greed too. Is this Lord not someone we can and should love with everything we have? brothers and sisters, boys and girls, for the sake of the Lord, for the sake of our love for Christ, let's watch out for that darkness of greed, for the sin against the Eighth Commandment in our hearts. Because, as John says elsewhere, whoever closes his heart to his brother, how can the love of God abide in him? No, let's focus on our Savior Jesus Christ, the light of the world, and let's give ourselves over to his light with all we have and love him with what we have. Love him also in giving to those who are in need. After all, that's why they're always with us, as the Lord said, so we can show love to him by giving for them. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, help us to walk with you also in regard to the Eighth Commandment, 
Let our hearts and lives be filled with your light, with the light of Jesus Christ. Let the darkness of sin be pushed out more and more. Help us not only not to be greedy or materialistic and not to steal, but help us to positively be generous and giving people out of love. That's what you want to make out of your people as, as we see in Mary in her deeds. Help us to be that way. That we don't just see the people when we give help either, when we help and give, but that we do it above all out of gratitude, deep gratitude for the grace we have received so generously and freely from you in Christ. And if we receive assistance, help us so that we accept that help, not just from people either, from deacons, but from you as from the hand of Jesus Christ, our Lord himself. Hear us in his name we pray. Amen.